Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Well, you may be seated this morning. We're going to start a series on the authority of the believer. Since we got our hearts right, amen. I'm going to look, let's look at three, I'm going to look at three different areas in the Bible. You can turn, if you will, to Daniel chapter 10. I'm going to figure out how to shorten this down a little bit. You know, this is the story of Daniel when he prayed, fasted and prayed 21 days. And God spoke and said, you know, I sent the answer the first day you prayed, but then an angel had to come and fight, fight his way through. You ever read that? Daniel 10, and he had to fight his way through. We'll pick it up there in verse verse 11. This is an angel speaking to Daniel. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand straight, for unto thee I am now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, from, from, from the first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand and chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Everybody say, for thy words. Make sure you get the right words working for you. Amen. Because words either work for you or against you. It says, but, look at verse 13. There's a but there. It says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, one in 20 days. Now, first of all, this is, you know, it wasn't that the angel was trying to cross a border somewhere and he couldn't get his passport stamped. Amen. Actually, this is talking about a demonic entity that in the spirit realm was fighting against that answer that God released from heaven the first day Daniel prayed. He said, you pr- I prayed, you know, where's my answer? I better start fasting and praying. So he starts fasting and praying. And, and, and then, you know, 21 days later, here comes an angel, appears before him and says, well, the, the, they heard you in heaven the first day you prayed. But there was a problem. There was resistance against the answer coming through the spirit realm. So God dispatched an angel and he, he, he had to fight this. For some reason, this prince of Persia was trying to stop this answer. So he came and he's fighting with that prince. And if you read the story, he fought with him. And then after he fought with him, uh, he came to Daniel. And then after he talked to Daniel, he went back and fought with him some more. Amen. So we see a very active spirit realm in the old covenant in which it seemed that the uh, majority of the activity was demonic. But now, if you will, go to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Mark, chapter 5, this is the story of what they call the madman at Gadara. Possessed by the devil. And the devil just, you know, had this man bound up, 6,000 demons in his, in his life. That's a lot of devils, Amen. Uh, it, verse 6 says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. He cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thy unclean spirit. Jesus said unto the, unto the man, Come out, thy unclean spirit. Everybody say, Come out. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, uh, saying, uh, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, if you read down through there, the, the, the guy literally got delivered. And uh, verse 20, what is that? Verse 19 says, How be it Jesus suffered him not to follow him, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. You see that? So, so he got an immediate answer. An immediate. Now, you know, if it had said, well, you know, I'll cast the devil out you out of you, but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to fast and pray a while, and believe God to dispatch an angel. That's not what happened. What happened was we see a immediate demonstration of authority on the earth that we did not see in Daniel's day, 
in David's day, in Moses' day, their covenant was a covenant of power. Now, you got to understand that. You say, well, what is our covenant? Our covenant is a covenant of faith that produces power. Oh, just now think about this. might help some of you to meditate on. Here comes Moses into Pharaoh's court. says, let my people go. And so all of a sudden, this, this, this miracle takes place. And, and I forget what the first miracle was, but there were ten of them that took place. But let's say, you know, one, two, three, four. By about the fifth miracle, you, you don't see any record of the children of Israel having a great camp meeting or worship service and agreeing with what Moses was doing. Amen. Well, you know, you didn't go around saying, well, we're going to be set free. There's five. We got five more to go. Let's keep our confession up. Let's worship God. We didn't see any of that. Actually, we saw just the opposite. Because even when they were delivered, they murmured and complained. So God demonstrated his power. His sovereignty and power were manifest in their life. But really, no authority was given. They had no authority in the realm of the Spirit. Now, with that in mind, we see authority released in Mark chapter 5 through this unique individual, Jesus. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's why it happened. It's Jesus. You know, Jesus, he's got authority. He's got power. But you've got to understand, Jesus operated in no power. He operated in no authority until the day he was baptized in the Jordan River. And the day he was baptized in the Jordan River, the Bible says the Spirit of God came on him. And when the Spirit of God came on him, he began to proclaim, the Spirit of God is on me and has anointed me. And he began to tell all those different things he was anointed to do. Then he went out and did them by that anointing and by that power. So we see for the first time since Adam's fall, a man on the earth demonstrating an authority that man should have had from the beginning, but lost. Amen? Now, with that in mind, go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, Paul and his entourage, had, Paul had received a, a vision, man from Macedonia, the Macedonian call we call it, uh, saying, come over and help us. And that Macedonian call, Paul obeyed that and went over there. Verse 13 says, on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city uh, uh, by a river, by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake, this is uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 20. And prayer uh, was wont to be made. And we sat down and spoke unto women uh, which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia. Now it tells about Lydia who was a seller of purple and all that. She got saved. She got baptized, her household. And then brought them in to their household. Now verse 16. They begin the ministry in that area. He says, we went out. It says, it came to pass that we went out. When we went out to pray, a certain damsel. Now notice, possessed with the Spirit. Everybody say, possessed with the Spirit. Now, that, now, that's not uncommon. That's something that, that they experienced back then, and we also see that today, possessed with the Spirit. Now, notice what she was doing, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. You say, what is that? Witchcraft. You don't need witchcraft. I said you don't need witchcraft. Amen. Witchcraft will destroy you. Amen. Amen. Uh, the same followed Paul and us. And cried, saying, now listen to what she's saying. These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now what she said was true, but because she was possessed by a devil, it made it a way in which Satan was trying to connect himself to what God was doing to literally discredit what God was doing. Eventually, anytime Satan connects himself to anything God's doing, it's for the purpose of discreditation. Because what he'll do is hang around a while, and then at a, per, a certain point, he'll bring his junk into it, and everybody knows it's not of God. Many revivals have broken out over the years that God began. And then man got a hold of it and messed it all up. Satan entered into it. I know one particular move of God they were having started, I believe, legitimately, but then it just got weird. You know, when things get weird, you know it's not God. You say, what do you mean get weird? Well, this guy started having visions of angels, and he began to describe this female angel. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about angels even having a particular gender. Amen? doesn't say there's male or female uh, uh, angels. The Bible doesn't say that. And then all these aberrations and visions and all this kind of stuff, and none of it was of God. They got themselves in the ditch. The devil connected himself to it because they didn't stay with the standard of the Word of God. But if we'll stick with the standard of the Word of God, we'll see a move of God, and it'll bless everybody. 
But now, they're, they're, listen, they're just going through the routine of going into an area and spreading the gospel. They pray. Everybody say, they pray. Then they go out and they witness and they pray. They're, they're, they're literally in the formative stages of starting a church. Now, as this goes on, here comes this woman, demon-possessed. She's not only demon-possessed, she's controlled by men that are making money from her. We know that's not right. Now, it says in verse 18, it says, This she did many days. Everybody say, many days. But Paul, now we're not talking about Jesus, we're talking about Paul. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit. Everybody say, to the Spirit. I command thee in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out in the same hour. Who came out? The Spirit came out. It came out of her in the same Now here is not Jesus, but here is somebody who is in Christ. Are you with me? Exercising authority over the demonic realm. I heard this said, and I heard this recently. It was said by a particular minister. He said, well, you know, I don't really know if I believe in demonic activity really hampering the Christian life or hampering, uh, you know, uh, what we call, quote, believers or people of faith. I think people just get themselves in the tr- in, into trouble. How many know they do? We've, got, we've all gotten ourselves into trouble. Well, I think there's just circumstances that arise just because, you know, we happen to live on earth and there's a lot of problems in the earth. Well, that's true also. But the Bible shows us over and over again that there is opposing and oppressing spirits. The Bible says in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Now, now, I know that there are things that we do to ourselves that cause problems. I know there are things that, uh, that happen to us just because it's the day in which we live in. But I want you to know there is an active force out there that does not like you. They want to destroy you. They are active, but they're defeated. In Daniel's day, they were not defeated. God had to dispatch from his side particular angelic help in order to get an answer to David. I mean, excuse me, get an answer to uh, Daniel. But that dispatch need not happen for you because you have authority. The problem with the body of Christ is people don't exercise it like they should. The first thing that hinders people from flowing in the authority that God's given them in Christ is they don't know it. A lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge literally keeps people bound by religion, bound by tradition. Uh, I'm telling you, I've seen it over the years where people just, they just don't know. And because they don't know, many of the things that are given to them miraculously in different types of services, they lose it because they don't sit under teaching that reveals literally what's going on in the spirit realm and how to walk in that authority. Listen. If you have things going on in your life that seem to be continual, you just can't get a breakthrough financially. You have continual sickness and disease that comes into your life. There's a particular, uh, particular oppression that comes over and over and depression over and over and over. There's a demo- Listen, there's a demonic entity behind that. That's a devil messing with you. Come on, church. I mean, they'll mess with your children. They'll mess with your finances. They'll mess with your business. And the problem is too many Christians just let them do it. Kind of hoping and wishing that God will do something about it. Well, God's not going to do anything about it. You're going to have to do something about it. God's left. What good? Now listen, think about this for a minute. We, 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 we talked about Jesus on Easter Sunday, risen from the dead. We all rejoice. Thank God the tomb is empty. Amen? What good would it do for Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior, to retain His authority and power in heaven alone? Now let me say that again. What good would it do, let's take healing power. What good would it do for Jesus to retain his healing power in heaven? Where there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no infirmity of any kind. What good would it do for him to retain his delivering power and just keep it all up in heaven where nobody in heaven needs to be delivered? Amen? So what he has done as he has delegated it to us, he has given it to us. Now, we're going to take this series and we're going to study all of that. We're going to study the power in the name of Jesus. We're going to study the power in the Word of God. We're going to study the power of the Holy Ghost. We're going to study how it operates. We're going to look at our adversary, the devil. We're going to do everything we can do to equip you so that you don't have to depend on a Sunday morning service to get free. 
You shouldn't have to wait till you get to church on Sunday. And many of you, if you'll just recognize and realize, you get ministered to at the altar and, and symptoms leave and, and oppression leaves. And by the time Tuesday gets here, it's all come back again. You got to do something about that. Amen. Now, go to James chapter 4. Let's go there for just a few minutes, and we'll look at James 4, and if we can, we'll get over to 1 Peter. James chapter 4. Now, remember, we're in the New Testament now, letters to the church, so this is relevant to us. Well, a simple scripture for time's sake, verse 7, James chapter 4. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Now, why would he put this, why would God, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, through the writer of this book, Pastor James, who's also an apostle, pastor and an apostle, of the church at Jerusalem, why would God say resist the devil if there was no devil to resist? Now, think about that a minute. There must be a devil to resist if God instructs us to resist him. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from God. From you. Everybody say, from me. Amen. Now, notice these two words. Submit and resist. Submit and resist. Submit and resist. So, it must mean to the proportion that you submit is equivalent to the amount of resistance you're able to muster. Let me say that again. To the proportion that you resist, uh, excuse me, submit, you're able to muster that amount of resistance. Little submission, little resistance. No submission, no submission, no, no, no resistance. Great submission, great resistance. Come on, church. I mean, if you want great resistance, you're going to have to have great submission. Now, how many remember we studied submission when we studied uh, issues of the heart? There are three areas of submission unique to us as believers. Number one, what does the Bible say? Plainly, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Listen, you can't afford the luxury of having an opinion when it comes to the Word of God. Well, this is what I think about this. This is what I think about that. I really don't care what you think. Amen? Now, the devil does. He wants you to think just the opposite of what the Word of God says. So he'll get into your thinking and mess with, well, I don't think this is true. Well, I don't think that. Listen, if I see it in the Word of God, I'm going to go ahead and just submit to it. All kinds of stuff in the Word of God I've seen over the years that I've had to submit to. I didn't feel like it. I didn't want to it. But I had to submit to it because it was the Word of God. Things that dealt with my character, things that dealt with my personality, things that dealt with my love walk. Amen. Amen. My behavior, I had to submit to it. You say, why? Because it's in the Word of God. Let me just say this. God is not in any way trying to hurt you or keep something from you. He's doing everything He can do to protect you and get you delivered. But there are laws that govern the spirit realm. Let me say that again. There are laws that govern the spirit realm. Everybody say submit. When you submit to God, and submit to His Word, there is a dimension of grace that is released for you. Oh, somebody should shout it. You say, what's grace? Grace is God's ability. That's what kept you from getting killed before you got saved. Unmerited favor when before you were saved, when you were a sinner. But now it's merited. Now you deserve it because you're in the family. But God wants you to activate, to activate that grace and walk in it. If you don't activate it and walk in it with the authority that God has given you, that grace will not work for you. So there's a grace that comes. You know, Lee and I, when we got married, we, we made decisions about our, about our marriage, about serving God, putting God first. You say, what do you mean putting God first? Before we put anything, before our opinion, before what we think, before any idea that we have, we put God first. Financially, we did that. In our marriage, we did that. In our ministry, we've done that. We've put God first. And there's been times where my mind would think, why do it that way? Why can't I do it my way? I'd like to do things my way sometimes, but I can't. I have to do it God's way. Submit, now notice this, yourself. That means it's an act of your human will. So I'm just waiting around for God to submit me. He'll never do it. 
You've got to submit yourself. And then it tells you, therefore, to God. Everybody say God. So we see, submit yourself to his word. Then you've got to learn to submit yourself to the Holy Ghost. Now, this is an area the church really needs to grow back into. There was a time in which it seemed like the church was making a lot of forward progression in this. Different men and different uh, anointings. Uh, 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 Brother Rodney Howard Brown, Brother Kenneth E. Hagan. There were some others that were holding Holy Ghost meetings. And in these Holy Ghost meetings, people were learning how to submit to the Holy Ghost. When the Spirit of God moves, it takes two things to enter in. It takes faith and submission. But those things were not unique to Brother Hagan and Rodney Howard Brown. We saw them years ago in Mom and Dad Goodwin's church. Moves of the Spirit. Moves of the Holy. People get drunk. I'm telling you, you can ask my brother, my sister, if she was here. There were times when Mom Goodwin would wander up to the children's church and begin to lay hands and minister to the children. The Holy Ghost moved, and they'd have to take us out and put us in the cars. And you wouldn't be back to yourself by the middle of the afternoon. The Spirit of God would be so strong. That's because that we were taught to yield to the Spirit. Amen. And people, people begin to laugh. People begin to weep. People begin to joy in the Lord and, and glorify God. And many times what that does is that helps you to learn to yield to the Spirit within the sanctuary. So when you get outside the sanctuary and the Spirit needs to do something in your life to protect you or help you, you're not resistant to it. You yield to it. So you've got to submit yourself to the Holy Ghost. And thirdly, you've got to submit to spiritual authority. Now that's where people have a real problem. There's a grace for every ministry. Amen. Every ministry is afforded. You go study Paul. He talks about ministering according to the proportion of grace that was given unto me. He talks about that. For every ministry, God gives grace. And you want to come in under that grace. You don't want to step outside of it. Well, I don't agree with the way you do anything around here. Well, then just hold on for a while. Amen. Because the problem is many times is we all have our ideas of how a church should be ran. How to run this, how to run that, how to do this. But I found this out a long time ago. There's usually just one or two people God will talk to, and that's usually Lee and I. Amen? Well, I don't like your idea of running the church. I don't have an idea of running the church. We do everything we can do to hear from God and obey God. Now, if you could submit to God... Submit to the Holy Ghost and submit to spiritual authority. Now you're in line to begin to use authority or to resist. Everybody say resist. Now that word resist literally in the Greek means to actively oppose. Now some of you in here, you've had some problems with the devil, but you're going to have to muster some active opposition. You're going to have to get the no word in your mouth. No devil In the name of Jesus, you're not going to do that to me no more. You're not stealing my healing. You're not stealing my prosperity. You're not stealing my joy. You're not stealing my peace. You're not stealing my family. You're not stealing my dream. You're not going to steal it in the name of Jesus. You say, well, I tried that and it didn't work. Well, then the problem's not the resisting part. The problem's the submission part. People just think, you know, any old thing can work any old time. No, you've got to, what did we say earlier? There are laws that govern the spirit realm. Now, now go, to, go to 1 Peter chapter 5. How's my time? Oh, I'm doing good. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. It's almost the, almost the same thing. Actually, if you go up into verse 3 and verse 4, you'll almost hear the same thing about submission. But in verse 6, it says humble. Everybody say humble. Now, humility, that, that's another. You say, what do you mean by humility? Well, you gotta, if you recognize your source, you'll be humble. It should not be things God does that humbles you. It should be who He is that humbles you. Just the fact that He loved you enough to redeem you, that should humble you. Just the fact that Jesus died so that you could be born again, that ought to humble you. Amen? So again, there's the word what after that? Humble yourself, therefore. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary. Now now he's going to name the adversary. Are you ready? Your adversary, the devil. I said this in a meeting I was conducting one time. I said, your adversary is not your mother-in-law. Your mother-in-law is not, your, not the devil. And a guy came right up after the meeting and said, yeah, yeah, my mother-in-law is the devil. 
I said, no, it's not. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So he's on a search and destroy mission in the church. In the church. He's doing search and destroy. But now notice, we gotta, we'll, we'll back up into this revelation. The Bible says he's what? He goes about as, doesn't say he is a roaring lion. Now, if you study this concept, it's written way back 2,000 years ago, inspired by the Holy Ghost. James probably had a little bit better revelation of lions than we do because there was a whole lot more lions around. Now, in a pride of lions, that's what a group of lions, a gang of lions is called. It's called a pride. In a pride of lions, the old males, they get old, they get mangy, they lose their teeth, but they don't lose their authority. So the females and the younger males go out and hunt, and they make a kill. And all the old lions have left is a roar. But all the subordinate lions, the lions that are weak, the lions that are uh, younger, and the female lions, they remember when there was more to that lion than just a roar. So they bring him a, a fresh impala, you know, just fresh killed, a fresh warthog just killed, you know. And so everybody wants a bite, but that, that old lion wants to eat. And everybody's eating all that. And so he wants all of them away so he can So he walks up and he just starts roaring and roaring and roaring and roaring and roaring. And most of the time they'll disperse. It's when they quit dispersing that that's the end for that line. He'll go off in the jungle and die somewhere. But as long as he can trick them into thinking, I still got a bite, honey. I can still bite you. Which is exactly what the devil wants you to think. Is I can still bite you. I can still put a bite on you. Amen. In reality, the only power your adversary, the devil, has over you is the power you choose to give him. He is a toothless lion. And all the spoil that God gives you, he wants to jump up there and he wants to roar and roar and roar so you'll run off scared from him. But what does the Bible say about it? Resist. Actively oppose. Amen. You know, if you tried to get my stuff, you say, what stuff is that? Whatever stuff you try to get. I want your stuff. I'm gonna, first thing I'm going to say is no. Amen. But now if you press me and get aggressive, then I'm going to use what authority or power I may have. Amen. He said, well, I'm going to come to your house and steal your stuff. Well, then I'll call the police. They said, well, I don't care if the police come. I'm still going to get your stuff. Well, then I'll shoot you. <laughs> you say, what do you mean by that? I'm going to muster the amount of resistance to keep you from getting my stuff that's necessary. He said, would you really shoot me? Well, I'd, I'd wound you. Amen. <laughs> well, I'll maybe just shoot at you. I don't know. But I'm going to resist you with everything I've got. Now, a lot of people, they're like that in the natural. Anything, anybody, oh, you try to touch my stuff. I'm going to really mess with you. But then the devil comes along and wants to steal all your spiritual stuff. Hey, just come on in, Mr. Devil. You've got to to actively, because he'll mess with your mind. He'll mess with your heart. Come on, church. He'll try to deceive. What is his ministry? He comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his ministry to steal, kill, and destroy. You've got to resist him. Now, 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 let's back up a little further. Goes about as a roaring lion. Notice the first part of verse, verse eight. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary. You got to you got to recognize when it is the enemy. Then you got to be sober. Now, what is sobriety? Sobriety is not being under the influence of something. And so many people are under the influence of religious ideas, religious opinions, especially when it comes to the destruction of the adversary. There's, there's, listen, there's whole Christian denominations that blame it all on God. Oh, there is no devil, but there is a God that will put cancer on you to teach you a real lesson of piety. Well, that's horrible to say that about God. And if you really examine the Scripture, you'll find out that God cannot. It's not that He will not. He cannot give you cancer. 
You say, why can't God give me cancer? He don't have it. And God can't give you what he does not have. He'd have to steal it and he's not a thief. So, so Christianity blames all these problems of humanity on God. Even insurance companies write into their insurance policies an act of God. Some earthquake or volcano blowing up. Say, well, we can't, we can't pay you what we owe you because that was an act of God. Well, I wish they'd do that to me. I'd get me a lawyer and I'd go right down and I'd take the Bible and I'd say, I'll show you where well, this is not an act of God. It's an act of the devil. Give me my money. Amen? It's not an act of God. Listen, God didn't give you that disease. God didn't put you in bankruptcy. God didn't run you through the divorce court. God didn't put that addiction upon you. God didn't torment your mind. God doesn't put depression upon you. God is the one who gets you out of all of that. And when you realize that and recognize that, then you begin to realize, okay, God, okay, God, if, if you're the one that gets me out, how do you get me out? Now, here's where a lot of people miss it. Okay, God, if you want me out, get me out. And they just stand there while the devil continues to wail on. No, God has put in his word what you have to do. You mean I have to do something? You have to do something. You mean with everything else I have to do, I have to do this. Let me just say it like this. With everything else you have to do, if you don't do this, you can forget about everything else you have to do. Because you won't be around to do it. He'll destroy you. So you've got to be sober. Everybody say, be sober. And you've got to be vigilant. That means you've got to stay with it. You can't, well, I tried it and it didn't work. Well, that, that doesn't pass muster. You've got to stay with it and stay with it and stay with it and stay with it and stay with it. And when it looks like it's not working, you've got to stay with it. And the situation gets worse, you've got to stay with it and stay with it. You say, how long do I have to do this? Do you don't have to do it no more. A lot of people, well, I want some preacher to do that. There's none of them that can, not one. And anyone that tells you that he can is lying to you. Something you have to do. Now, back up into verse 7. Now, here's the reason why it doesn't work sometimes. Casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. You're going to have to cast your cares. If you carry the load of your problem, you'll never be able to use authority. So many people get weighted down, just weighted down. With everything that's going on in their life, all this stuff, I mean, just your mind, you can't hardly cut the thoughts off. The enemy gets in there, and he, not listen, he can shoot thoughts at your mind like a, like a machine gun. Or, I mean, as soon as one comes, the next one goes. One comes, the next one. How are you going to do this? How you, all, I mean, just constantly, constantly. You've got to make a decision not to entertain. Let me say that again. You've got to make a decision not to entertain all of the activity of your adversary. That's part of resistance. Because it's kind of like he wants to see your reaction to the last thing he did to you. That determines the next thing he will do. Now let me say that again. He wants to see your reaction to the last thing he did to you. That determines the next thing he's going to do. So if you throw up active resistance, no, devil, you ain't doing that in the name of Jesus. You ain't tormenting my mind another moment. In the name of Jesus, I don't think like that. Get out of my mind. You're not going to torment my mind. I'm going to sleep tonight. I'm going to rest tonight. I'm not going to sit up all night worrying. Casting all your care. Listen, listen to it in the Amplified. I like it in the Amplified. Listen to it in the Amplified. Now, a lot of people find this hard to do. Amplified says it like this. What is that? Verse 7. Casting the whole of your care, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all of your concerns. Uh, let, let's try that again. Not one amen on that. I guess y'all want to hang on to that stuff. Casting all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all of your concerns, once and for all. Casting the whole of your care, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on Him. It's the only place it fits. That's the only place it fits. Why? For He cares for you affectionately and watches 
and cares about you watchfully. You carry your cares through thoughts, words, and deeds. Let me say that again. You carry your cares through thoughts, words, and deeds. I heard a guy who I appreciate his ministry. I, I, I kind of see him as a guy that has special uh, a revelation on, on prosperity and blessing for people's lives. Somebody that I feel is credible, teaches very well on that. And he was teaching on getting rid of your worry about money. And he began to describe the condition of his family. This is the family he grew up in, his mother and his father. I think he had a sister in his family. And about how their family worried about money all the time. That Christmas was always put on a credit card and then it took 12 months to pay off the credit card if everything went okay. But if you didn't, then you didn't have Christmas the next year. And so they talked about all of the things. Every time they went, and went out to eat and got like, like hamburgers in a sack or something, you know, they put extra napkins, they'd always save the napkins. He said, we had a big old stack of napkins this high in our house because we're afraid that one day we couldn't afford napkins. So we had to make sure we had napkins. See, that's worry. He said, we always kept all the plastic. He said, my mom would wash the plastic silverware. And we had a drawer full of plastic silverware from all the hamburger joints all over town. He said, we'd keep the straws. So we wouldn't even throw the straws away because we worried that one day we might not have enough money to buy a straw. And he said, he said I saw that I was conditioned to that. Then he said, I watched my mom and my dad worry and worry and worry and then act on that worry. Act on that worry. Never threw anything away. You know, you got a hole in your clothes. clothes well, we'll just get a patch. Remember those iron-on patches? He said, I had iron-on patches all over my clothes. Amen? And just worried and worried and worried. And he says, the end result of it was we never had nothing. He said, we never had nothing. We never went on vacations. He said, we always, he says, Christmas time was the worst time of the year because we know dad went down and bought Christmas on the credit card. So we worried 11 months around to the next Christmas, hoping he could pay it off so we could have Christmas again and worry another 12 months. Come around and have Christmas and worry another 12. Now, could you imagine growing up like that? No wonder God called him to preach on prosperity because there had to be a lot of stuff broken off of him in order to do it. Now, listen, there's people that they worry about every swine flu, West Nile virus. I mean, people worry so much many times, it shuts their life down. They talk about all of the phobias that people get. All, all of those are fear-based. And they begin with worry and anxiety and stress. And listen, we live in a society in which worry, anxiety, and stress, listen, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar buzzword for all the pharmaceutical companies. To give you something that although you're going through hell, you don't worry about it because you're just numb. Come on, church. And so they feed you all these pills and all this medication, and you're still going through the same thing. There's no answer for it. You're actually still worrying. Now you just don't feel it anymore. Amen. So you've got to learn to cast your cares. Now, now we say that many times, but really practicing that is literally a daily thing. The Bible says once and for all. Everybody say once and for all. So you've got to get to the place in your life where you once and for all cast the cares of your life. Amen. Amen. We face many challenges in ministry. None of them is as big as the challenge we face right now. In building a building that all things are going to be equal, all things being equal, going to cost us between eight and ten million dollars. That's a lot of money. I said, that's a lot of money. We've crunched the numbers every way we can, and there's no way we can go borrow the money for that. No way. You say, no way? No possible way. We have to have at least a $5 million windfall just to start the project. We have to have it. You, we, cannot do, we cannot go to the bank. We cannot borrow a little bit and get it started. Our builder is not going to start a project that he cannot finish. And to borrow 8 to $10 million, as much money as comes in in a month would be our note. Well, I got to eat. But I don't worry about it. I've cast my care. I've obeyed the Lord. I don't, oh, Lord, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm crying out to you, Lord. I'm carrying this. I wouldn't do that. That'd drive, drive me into the ground. 
Amen? No, I go get on an airplane, fly over to Ireland, preach 15 times in 10 days, have a great time. Amen. Fly over and visit Brother Paul and Miss, Miss Shotty in the Philippines. Amen? I go hunting. I go fishing. I, I hang around the house, play with my dogs. Amen. Talk to my parrot. He doesn't worry. You've got to surround yourself with people that don't worry. Amen? Amen? Because many of you, exactly what I just described about growing up in a family that worries, some of you are world-class worriers. World-class. Professional. Amen. Amen? I mean, here it is. What? what May, May, May the 7th? And so... Guess what happens on June the 1st? Does anybody know? Oh, we're going to get a storm this year. People start right now. They start worrying. The first little bump in the gut. There it is right there. Oh, my God. It's going to come right here and destroy us. Well, you, you think that's funny. You come around here when there's a storm actually in the Gulf that may be approaching this island. And you, I mean, I walked into a grocery store one time and the fear was palpable. You could literally, like you feel the anointing up here when the Spirit of God is moving, you could literally reach out and take a chunk of that atmosphere. It's so full of fear. Remember that, Leah? And, and, and everybody ran, everybody took off, and the Holy Ghost said to me, don't worry about it. And we came to the beach. Her, she had to close her shop. She was in business that day. None of her employees would come to work. So we just had a picnic. <laughs> Hung out at the beach all day long. Had a good time. Didn't worry. What if one hits? Don't worry. We got flood insurance now. <laughs> Amen. So you've got to make a decision to cast your kiss. Now you say, how do you do it? If you hold on to your cares with thoughts, words, and deeds... You cast them with thoughts, words, and deeds. So you got to get to the point in your life where you're willing to speak. Now, see, our problem is, and we've taught on this so many times, but this needs to get ingrained in your spirit. You can't fight thoughts with thoughts. Now, let me say that again. You can't fight thoughts with thoughts. You cannot, you have no authority in the thought realm. You say, why? Because your thoughts do not touch any other realm but the thought realm. You've got to have something that touches both the natural realm and the spirit realm. The natural and spirit. The natural and the spirit. The natural and the spirit. The only thing that, thing that you possess that touches the natural and the spirit realm is words. Your words touch the natural realm. I can hear what you say. You can hear what I say. But also, God can hear what you say. And the devil can hear what you say. Come on, church. I said, come on, church. So many people have tried to fight. I'll think a good thought. Or they'll put on worship music. Now, I love worship music. But you can't just listen to worship music and overcome the devil. So a lot of people try. I'm just going to listen to worship music. That's going to take off. No, you've got to open your mouth. And you got to say, No. No, devil, I will not think that anymore. I will not meditate. I will not worry any longer. I cast my care. Now, most people's experience with casting around here has to do with fishing. You make a cast. And what do you do after you make a cast? You reel it right back in. And there it is again. So you got to cast it again. I need to do what? Reel it right back in. And so I've told this story before. I had an old reel I bought from one of my dad's law partners. And the spool was wore out. And it wobbled back and forth. And it had a sharp edge on the spool. And every once in a while, it would cut the line. You'd make a cast. It'd just cut the line. And there'd go your lure, your bait, or whatever. It'd be gone. And I'll never forget one day, I was, I was wade fishing on the beach. Trout were everywhere. I had a stringer, a trout, and I was having a good time. Had a big old balsa wood cork. Can't even find them anymore. Big old balsa wood cork with a leader. I was fishing with live shrimp. And I remember I, I reeled back. I could see them trout moving in the swell. I reeled back and let that thing go. And right at the end of my cast, that spool moved over and cut that line. And that balsa wood cork took off like a rocket. Longest, cork, longest cast I ever made. And I'll never forget because I could see it. And it hit the water and it bobbed one time and whoosh, it was gone. And I thought in my mind, that's what you need to do with your care right there. It needs to get to the very end of your cast. Then you got to cut the line. You say, how do you do that? With your words. 
You've got to begin to convince yourself by your words. I'm not thinking that anymore. I'm not thinking poverty anymore. I'm not thinking bondage anymore. I'm not thinking depression anymore. I'm not thinking addiction anymore. I'm not doing it. You say, how long do I have to do it? Tell you don't have to do it anymore. Amen. Amen. Casting all your care, all your anxiety, all of your woes, all of your concerns, once and for all. That means you don't go pick them back up. You say, well, but, but the doctor said, okay, I understand that. Well, but the banker's saying, well, that's cool, that's fine. Well, the psychiatrist says, okay, okay. Everybody has something to say. But you need to make your word the last word. Because you're the one that God has given the authority to. Now, I mentioned this, I'll, I'll close with this. I mentioned this in the last service. Uh, Brother Kenneth E. Hagan, all of, his, all of his students call him Dad Hagan. We call him Uncle Ken because he was our uncle. And all of the Rhema people, he was their dad. But if you went to Brother Goodwin's church, then it was Uncle Ken. The most powerful book he wrote that really changed the way the body of Christ views this subject is The Authority of the Believer. I suggest everybody get that book and read it. It's a great book. I read it probably once every one or two years. I read it. I think we've even taught it before here at the here at the church. Now, according to his testimony, which I believe, the Bible says if you believe prophets, you'll prosper. Now, according to his testimony, much of what he got in that book, he got in encounters with Jesus in open visions. Now, if that were not true, then all the stuff he got would not work. But I guarantee you it's worked for millions of people all over the world. I talk to people all over the world that read that book. It works for me. It works for me. Not because Brother Hagen wrote it. It's because it's all in the Word. Because he was the kind of guy that even though he had an open vision and Jesus talked to him, he'd say, you're going to have to give me scriptural reference for it in the Word of God. He, he, he believed in the integrity of the Word of God. But in his book, I Believe in Visions, he, 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 he gives the account of a vision that lasted and actually happened in El Paso, Texas. A vision that lasted for an hour and 45 minutes. And at the end of a vision, this demonic entity appeared and began to spray. The, he said it looked like a dark cloud, and he couldn't see Jesus in this vision anymore. It's all going on in the spirit realm. Gift of discerning the spirits in operation. He said, and this, this, this little old devil began to holler with a loud voice, and he'd always make this funny say, yakety-yak-yak, yakety-yak-yak, yakety-yak-yak. And he said he stood there. He was shocked it was happening. He was wondering why Jesus didn't do anything about it. And then all of a sudden he said, Brother Hagen said, not Jesus said, Brother Hagen said, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. He said that thing fell on the floor, ran out like a whip pup, and all that blackness and darkness dissipated, and he could see Jesus again. Now he asked this question of Jesus. This is very interesting. He said, why didn't you do something about that devil? And he said, Jesus said to him, if you would not, I could not. If you wouldn't have done something about it, nothing could be done. Amen. And Brother Hagin said, he said three times. I believe I'm not hearing you right. Something wrong with my hearing. You said, if I would not, you, you, if, I, if I didn't, you couldn't. Excuse me, if you didn't, you wouldn't do it. And, and Jesus said to him, no, I said if you wouldn't, I couldn't do it. He said, I'm not hearing you right. I'm not hearing. I, 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 if you said, if I, if I didn't, you wouldn't do it. Jesus said, no, if you wouldn't, I couldn't do it. He said the third time, Jesus looked at him and he said, I'm not hearing you right. I'm not, you said if, if I didn't, if I didn't do anything, you wouldn't. He said, no, I couldn't. And he disappeared with fire in his eyes, which means we can prove it scripturally. Jesus gave him four scriptures. If you don't do something about Satan, it's not going to get done. If you don't do something about evil powers, tormenting your mind, messing with your finances, messing with your family, messing with your physical body, it will not be done. Authority must be exercised on the earth by the believer in Christ. Now, you, if, you, if you could just see yourself in the Spirit for half a second, this, this would be ingrained in you the rest of your life. You look like victory. You look like healing. No matter what rank you may think you have in the spirit realm or in the church, it does not matter. There was a directive given to the Army of Occupation when they went into Japan in September of 1945, and that was this. Don't take your uniform off. 
Do not take your uniform off. You can go anywhere you want in Japan. You're on leave. Go anywhere. But do not take your uniform off. You say, now why do they tell the American occupying forces to do that? Because as long as they had their uniform on, the Japanese people were reminded that they were defeated. Whether it was all the brass of General MacArthur or just the khaki of the buck private peeling potatoes at the mess. That uniform represented their defeat. And they were very subservient people. They didn't want them rising back up while they were there. So everywhere they went, they said, keep your uniform on. Keep your uniform on. Don't take your uniform off. Keep your uniform on because you look like victory. It makes them consider defeat. See, we've been clothed with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And a lot of believers don't know how they're clothed. You've been given authority. You've been given power. So that's what we're going to study. The authority and power in the Word. The authority and power of the Holy Ghost. The authority and power in the name of Jesus. And you're going to see yourself as someone here on this earth that you have power, you have authority, and you have the ability to resist, actively oppose, and exercise that authority here on earth. You say, now why do we need to do that? So you can live a life on the offense instead of defense. Too many, too, many, too many believers live life backing up, trying to recover. If I could just get back to where I was, oh, i got to back up some more. Don't do that. There's too much for us to possess in the kingdom, too much for us to do in the kingdom, and God wants us doing that. And in order to do that, we're going to have to act like what God says we are. We have to do what God says we're supposed to do. And when it comes to our adversary, we've got to actively oppose him in Jesus' name. Amen? Lift your hands up this morning and thank God. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.